Welcome to Amplified. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Well, welcome to another exciting show of Amplified, where we honor leaders who lead with their heart and are making a positive difference in the world. And in a world we need more inspiration, we are so excited about the guests we bring, especially today's guest, because he has been taking on challenges that really, when you hear a story, you'll say, why don't I think like this and take on challenges? Because it enriches your life, your experiences, and certainly has a ripple effect. So how are you doing, Andrea? I'm absolutely wonderful. We had a a great last week uh, covering a bunch of events in uh, Washington, D.C. with GovCon and um, covering a wedding show in D.C. So lots of really cool people were met and some great um, relationships, including some great things going for the Keep Smiling movement. Amen. And by the way, the show is brought to you by Andrea's publicity, uh, publicity company, the Red Carpet Connection, as well as the Keep Smiling movement. So thank you very much for bringing on such great guests as Stephen. So let's go ahead and introduce him and bring him on the show. Absolutely. Stephen Rao sold out an entire 18,000 mastermind group in less than 90 minutes. He's a former Disney trainer, consultant, and serial entrepreneur that sells high-end products and services from stage for event producers. Now, event producers can stop doing it all themselves because he helps you reclaim your time and freedom through leverage and scale with new power days, mastermind groups, and high-end products and services. And he helps sell those to be even higher. And he has a freedom speaker blueprint that teaches speakers and consultants how to leverage and license their expert content systems and certifications and create their own high-end mastermind groups and lucrative consulting. Stephen, welcome to the show. So glad to have you on again after just talking to you at the Impact uh, meeting with Ken MacArthur. Welcome. Stephen, you there? Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm here. Well, it was cool because it really shows, ironically, Ken MacArthur's message of impact is that we all have an opportunity when we see an event that actually attracts leaders to attend it and have even more impact in the world. And certainly our reconnection from at least a couple years ago was solidified at a higher level because we both spoke at his event. And uh, that led to this radio show, as well as us honoring you as a leader that not only makes a difference but inspires others to really play a bigger game in life and we're excited that this show and the conversation that uh, happens after the show turned into a story that we publish of how you cause smiles in the world so let's let's start with uh, your journey i guess well no let's start with uh, ken macarthur's event so ken macarthur's event is called impact and in both occasions that uh, we met was at his event. So what is your background with Ken MacArthur and, and how do you, uh, what do you think about his impact factor? Absolutely. So I believe I've known Ken for over a decade and Ken for me is just one massive heart with two legs and everywhere he goes, he's the embodiment of the most humble, most generous spirit. And what I've been able to witness is And he will never tell you this because he's so humble, but I have seen him connect two people at a conference outside the room, in a hallway, in a hotel, wherever. I've seen him introduce two people and then just smile and walk away and have then heard stories that one year later that turned into some, either a huge social movement, it turned into a million dollar business. Um, One person ended up selling a product on QVC and Ken never asks for a dime. It's incredible. And I'm so excited for him since he's written the book Impact Factor, I'm just excited for him that he's now in post-production creating his film for Impact Factor, which is really exciting. Well, since he put us together, and again, to your point, he never asked for anything for that connection, I always like to tithe to another person's cause, especially there if it's called impact factor. So what we create together, um, let's commit 10% to his impact factor so that he either has better marketing for his movie or he can use it as he wishes. 
because I, I think you and I are going to play a pretty big game in 2020, and I know Andrea has some great ideas as well. So let's move to what your childhood was like and the journey that caused you to be who you are today, because you started some pretty cool thinking and actions young in life. Sure. Um, so one day I was outside playing catch with Socrates, and no, I'm kidding. Um, it was actually, he was a good it man. Was, Socrates it was actually, had a good sense of humor, too. Yes. Um, no, it was actually Plato. I was lying. Um, <laughs> no, so I spent um, 21 years growing up in Texas, and people would always say to me, but you don't sound like you're from Texas. And I would always just take a pause and go, well, that's because I'm educated. And people <laughs> wow. would, uh, and that works, and that works really well. You know, I would grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan, and for the last twenty years, I've lived in Philadelphia, where the big Philadelphia Eagles fans are. So, whenever I share that, you know, Philadelphia Eagles fans love it. But the challenge is um, now today, Philadelphia Eagles fans are always trying to push me to either get an exorcism for the Dallas Cowboy fan thing or send me into therapy. But um, had a great time growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, and. The very first thing that I would love to share with your audience is if I look back on my childhood and like we all had, we had great times and we had, you know, challenging times. I personally ended up lining up in the grocery store aisle asking to buy um, some trauma as well. And so I dealt with that darkness too. But the uh, moment that changed my life, just like Ken MacArthur, was Will Rogers, who was an elder at my church. And he was known as the only honest used car dealer in Fort Worth, Texas. And he was my elder at church, and I was 12 years old. And he said, you know, Stephen, I I see something in you. And what he was talking about was I was wanting to start a business. And sure enough, the following summer, I started mowing lawns going up and down my street. And that grew into an entire business all the way through high school. And I ended up having grown men right before I'd go off to school, men would show up, I'd give them the equipment, they'd go off and mow, and then I would check the yards afterwards, and that's all because of Will Rogers. It's incredible. That's so cool. That's very cool. I, I want to just say that uh, there's a reverse accent play, too. So when I'm in D.C. or I'm in your, I guess, your New York or Chicago-esque mm-hmm. type of communities, I actually, when I do photography, I say, hey, can I have y'all... Can I have you all just come together real quick and I'll take a picture? And you wouldn't believe how quick and how happy they are to hear that drawl. And obviously I'm adopting it. I, I probably am not even doing it right. But it's so funny to see people quickly yep. rally together because they're hearing something loving and warm. A Texas drawl is, is awesome. Absolutely. Well, you know, I just absolutely, I just spent the last five, yep, I just spent the last five days in Atlanta with Larry Wingett, the, uh, shut up, stop whining, get a life, you know, New York Times bestseller guy. Right. And I was with him, I was with him and Suzanne Evans, and they were running this incredible event. But it was in Atlanta, and people flew in from all over. And to your point, it was such a joy. <clears throat> he grew up in Oklahoma, he's got that twang and all of that. And it was such a joy to see the very thing you just said, where the more he just <clears throat> let that fly, especially for the women in the room, I saw them just relax and feel like they were down home. So I agree with you. And Larry, for instance, has made a living for 30 years just being himself and doing that. And I, the reason I bring that up is one of the things I learned early on is stop hiding and stop putting on a facade when I grew up in Texas. And I just mm-hmm. think the last five days I got to, the last five days I got to sit back and just be a part of that experience. And so for what it's worth, I think Larry Wingett is just a perfect example of you can build a 30-year career by just being honest and uh, not apologizing for anything. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, we've we've had Larry on our show, and and what a a blessing that was because he he brings it. He brings the the reality, and he has no holds. He he doesn't hold anything back. And, like, uh, we were were kidding around earlier about, you know, the politically correctness of not using certain words. And I hope there's never a day that we say you can't use the Y word, y'all, because, I mean, y'all is is a good word. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great word. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, so um, So, I want to – yeah, I, I want the audience to hear a little bit about um, 
what you shared at your presentation at the event, and but I want to just make sure we finish with your journey of how you were creating who you were in the young part of your life. Sure, sure. So, you know, here I was mowing yards and doing all that. Um, I was really not that smart. Um, my brother was one of those Mensa kind of uberkin geniuses, um, practically out of photographic memory. So um, he aced school all the way through, never really studied. So I grew up kind of um, feeling like there must have been something wrong with me. And what I found out was, as I got a little older, um, there actually was something wrong with me. <laughs> and that was that I was an entrepreneur. And my parents were school teachers and university professors. And so I'll never forget when I was in college and I made a phone call to Fred Smith, the founder of FedEx. And number one, I couldn't believe he took the call. But what Fred Smith told me when I was 19 years old, I picked up the phone and called him back in the 80s. There's no internet and all that. And one of the nuggets he gave me was, if you're from a family that's not an entrepreneur family and you want to start a business, don't tell your mom and dad. And I was listening with a ballpoint pen, writing down everything. And he said, no, seriously. He goes, your mom and dad are going to want you to have a job, a career, be safe. And they live this myth that that's a world that you can be productive and have a pension and retirement. And he said, you know what? If you want to run a business, Stephen, and he was talking about my lawn business, he goes, absolutely. He goes, just don't, just don't look for any affirmation from your parents. And that really stuck with me as I got that's through high school and then my freshman year of college, it really changed my whole perspective. Well, Stephen, I have to cut in and just tell you that that just hit me hard because uh, I, when you are an entrepreneur mindset and you have a heart for it, uh, when you tell your parents, it, you actually get um, dis- disgruntled and disengaged and, and frustrated because you're different and it doesn't fit to not work for someone else, but to work with someone that will think outside the box. That's the big problem is that you're not even welcome in the arena of working for someone. And my wife actually has <clears throat> a really big issue with teaching my son to have an entrepreneurial mindset. And an entrepreneurial mindset, really, in my opinion, just means you're solving problems in the world. It's just that simple. You're bringing value, you're solving problems, and the world is thanking you by booking your service or your product, et cetera. So go, go on. I just wanted to cut in and say that. Sure, sure. So here's what's fascinating. Um, we all have story, right? We all have reasons. We all have excuses. But we also have meaning that we attach to everything that happens in our life. And I will just share this with everybody. Um, about 10 years ago, I had a business failure, and one of the challenges for me growing up was I was in 5A high school football and got to play in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium for the semifinals and the quarter semifinals, which the Friday Night, Friday Night Lights movie is all about that, and Odessa Permian. So I was playing football back then when Odessa wow. Permian was winning all of those. And so what I say to people is when you're playing as a sophomore in high school in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, it's pretty hard to complain that your life's not going well. So what I wanted to share with everybody was, here we are, my brother and I, we're growing up with these parents that are absolutely wonderful. My dad was always home as a university professor, was always home at dinner at 6.30. We had a round table, which I think was profound in terms of just the sense of equality and the way my dad um, wanted us to all be, a, you know, all be one. But anyway, um, from that, just very quickly, I, about 10 years ago, I had a business failure. And I realized that I had not developed the tools, and some of your listeners may um, really resonate with this, but I didn't have the tools to deal with failure. So one of the things I want to share with people is I think today we are protecting our kids and keeping them from failing. And I truly believe that I experienced that as well, even though I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Because here's what happened. I went through a dark period about 10 years ago, and it wasn't until I was facing that darkness now get ready, that my parents said to me, well, you know, the person who would be your great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather had eight children and he owned a business through the recession. And through the recession, he lost everything. But he had provided for hundreds of employees and he provided for the eight children. But he killed himself. Wow. It's interesting, folks. I know you can't say that to a 12-year-old, but isn't it interesting how we hold on to things that can be profound to shape you, 
And I've spent the time since my 40s wondering, um, why did my parents keep that from me? Well, sure enough, I mean, my mom passed four years ago. Who knows? Um, maybe they just felt that that you know, was too much. But I just think, for me, all of that, if you wrap it all together, it's all about, I grew up with the value of be honest, speak your truth, don't mamby-pamby your kids, and that's been powerful for me, especially in this political correct world we live in now. Where you can't joke, you can't get around. So anyway, <laughs> that would be the wrap-up for me on the, on the childhood thing. And, and extremely powerful, and, and also very controversial, because you're right. Parents sure. don't know what to show. If you have a kid who feels entitled, and I don't care what age he is, and you show yep. kids that are starving in another country, are you waking them up, or are you traumatizing them? And I, th- I think you're waking them up. And, and on some level, you're planting seeds that they have a lot to be grateful for, and that at some point in their life, they're going to see that there's uh, a lot of scarcity and a lot of sure. need for leadership. Sure. Well, sure. So let's let's talk about uh, the the second phase where you were actually making these calls and what prompted you and, and gave you that belief that this was the right thing to do and that it would either work out or that it was worth trying. Sure, sure. So um, this part of my life is the power of one person writing a book. Um, Tom Peters back in the eighties wrote a book called in search of excellence. And he really created the, what the world we now take for granted, which is benchmarking companies. And I was in an organizational communication college class, my freshman year. And he talks about studying Disney, studying FedEx and all of this. So that's what prompted me. I mean, I, I credit the, so much of my life in terms of what I'm about to tell everybody to one man, it was Tom Peters, uh, Robert Waterman. And they wrote this book, um, in search of excellence, but it was really Tom Peters. So I'm an intern at college. I took a semester off from college and I'm working at Walt Disney world as a college intern. And while all my buddies are out getting drunk and wasted on their time off, I'm sitting in the Disney apartment complex where we were housed for the four months as an intern. And there was a phone attached to the wall in the apartment. And I found in the kitchen, a Disney phone book that had all of the California corporate office phone numbers as well as all over the world. And what happened was I had done that Fred Smith phone call. And actually the first phone call I made when I was 19 was Sam Walton of Walmart. And he talked to me for two hours. And in the midst of that call, he says, you you're the son I never had. And that was wild to me because I had said less than 40 words on the call with Sam Walton. But sure (laughs) enough today, if you look, S. Robson Walton is the only child of Sam's that ever got involved with Walmart. And he's now the chairman emeritus in his 70s and, and so on. But anyway, well, I started Stephen, making calls. Quick. and one of the, Yeah, go ahead. Let me cut in. This is, for me, this is important. Yep. Those 40 words, since you didn't yep. get to say a whole lot, what, were, what was just to your memory of those 40 words? Sure, sure. So there's one question that just kind of organically came to me from watching the In Search of Excellence piece. And it was a fascination around what is it that is the secret to your success? And so I would ask a certain question at the beginning of the phone call and the gatekeeper would be patronizing. Oh, that's so sweet. And then I would wait. And then these people would get on the phone. And the big message here is people love talking about themselves, but if you're uber successful at whatever level and based on whatever metric, once you've arrived, you want to give back. And so for me, it wasn't until way late in the phone call, believe it or not, that they'd say, well, what about you? Tell me more about you. That's Mm -hmm. where the 40 words would come. And I would just do the best I could to speak as quickly as I could and then turn it back over to them. And it happened. I did 280 of those phone calls while I was at Disney World. And there's another aspect of it that changed my life which I can, we can talk about, but I called Michael please. Eisner, the CEO of Disney. Go ahead. I was um, saying, please, that's, this is what I want to hear. We want to, we want to share with the audience what you, absolutely. What you can do with a powerful conversation. Absolutely. Yep. So I called Michael Eisner, the CEO of Disney. He was out in California, the corporate headquarters, and I got a hold of him. And obviously my connection was that I was a Disney college program intern. And I asked him my question, and he opened up, talked to me for an hour, 
got interrupted a couple times to do meetings. He's like, no, don't worry about it. I'm busy. So Michael had boys himself. And sure enough, he starts talking about family, start talking about his boys. And the next thing you know, I, there's where my life changed. On that call, I asked a second question at the end. And all I said was, I remember Disney's a first name company. So I said, Michael, you've been so generous. I hope your listeners really catch this. Mm-hmm. Michael, you've been so, you've been so generous with your time and sharing so many insights to the secret to your success. I'm just curious if there's someone else that you think would be willing to talk to me. And he says, well, you said you love movies, right? I said, yes. He goes, have you ever talked to Roy Disney? I said, no. And that's Walt's nephew. And he was out in California. And so sure enough, Michael says, well, great. I'll get you connected to call Roy. For your listeners, here's where your life changes. And I've done this hundreds of times. I've taught now um, more than 5,000 college students as well as grown adults and people even in their 70s, this concept. But the notion is this. When I called Roy Disney's office, Roy comes bouncing on the phone and says, any friend of Michael's is a friend of mine. Well, when you read all the autobiographies that came out later, Roy and Michael hated each other. (laughs) Vehemently. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Even even when that happened. So there's a real power, which I'll share in a second, about that second phone call. There's well, something why? about, let I me mean, think about it, Ken. Good. Sorry. Do think, no, my phone do think cut about out. That. That's cool. Uh, do the think about it, and I have a question for you. Go ahead. Um, so as an example with Ken MacArthur, right? And he introduces me to you or he introduces you to someone else. There's this halo effect that happens and it happened every time that I would get that second phone call and just to share with everybody. And this doesn't just have to be about business, but five times in my life, that second phone call, that person became an angel investor And not one of them, five times in my life, not one of them ever wanted equity in my company. They simply wanted to be a part of the game. And the requirement they had instead of taking equity in my company was they said, you better call me every month. I just want to be an advisor because it's fun for me to see you grow with your business. And I really believe in you. That is amazing. That's, That's the power of the halo effect and quite frankly for having the courage to get out of your own way and just humbly pick up a phone even today especially today with the internet and everybody's emailing and texting pick up the phone and call somebody and simply ask them about the history of their success and what what they consider to be the secret um and then when they're done simply say thank you so much you've been so generous and get ready Get ready, because whether you're wanting to start a nonprofit or you're simply wanting to grow your career or you're wanting to change careers, which is another great example, get ready. That second phone call, that person, nine times out of ten, is going to be the person that changes your life. I agree. And what was the uh, second question you would ask, Michael, that would prompt the Roy uh, call? Sure. You said Sure. So so it's, uh, Michael, you've been so generous with your time and sharing what you just shared. I'm just curious if you would be willing to um, share, or sorry, um, I'm just curious if there's someone else, I'm just curious if there's someone else that you think would be willing to talk to me just as you have right now. Now, there's all kinds of things that happen. They'll say, yeah, call my old fraternity brother, so-and-so, and it'll be some famous person. Um, and so you, under, you, you find out the connection. Um, sure, call my old boss. Um, sure, call the chairman of my board of directors. Here's the secret for everybody. If it's a school teacher you're talking to, they're going to refer you to a principal or a superintendent. If it's a police officer you're talking to, they're going to refer you to a chief of police. I'm telling you, Ken, it is the most powerful thing I see. There must be something in our human spirit. 
every single time, if it was a CEO I talked to of a $100 million company, they'd refer me to a CEO of a $500 million company. I think it's common sense, but what it is for me, and I've done these calls, I'm 53 years old today. I did one of these calls three weeks today? ago. So for any of you thinking, yeah, any of you thinking that you have to be young to do these calls, it's not true. But what I think it is, is people, especially men, want to show you, whether it's subconscious or not, they want to show you how connected they are in the world. But they also want to give back to you. And I just have to tell everybody, I have never, ever, in 2,930-something calls myself, I have never had a person not do that. They've referred me to somebody bigger, more successful, whatever, with greater impact than themselves. And that's another part of why it changes your life. So I'm, I'm hypothesizing that the dynamic is that this is someone that they emulate, and if they connect you, it's a gift to all three. It's the person knows the person's name and thinks knows that they think highly of them, and that you benefit because of the connection, and they want to make you look good, and the other person that's receiving the call says, oh, wow, yeah, of course I'd make time for you. Is that kind of the idea? Absolutely, and I want to just peel back the onion and one more layer and just share with everybody. Imagine if I told you out of all of the successful CEOs, no matter if it was a million-dollar company or a big publicly traded company like Disney, more than 45% of the time of the men that I interview, they said some form of, Stephen, you're the son I never had. Here's what I discovered. Whether you were Fred Smith or FedEx or whatever, so many times their story would be during the call, my kids don't even want me to show up at Thanksgiving. They think that I chose the business or they, or I chose traveling all over the world or they chose something else other than me. So one of the things I just want to share with people is your phone call is a second chance, honestly. And it doesn't matter if you're 45 years old or 20 years old. One of the dynamics, Ken, is you create a second chance because so many of these uber successful people, they'll tell you they blew it with their kids and their kids just don't even really want to be at Thanksgiving with them. How powerful is that? That's insane. That is that is truly like it makes sense though because they don't know the sacrifice that that person made and that their their meaning of life was that if they did this they would be the ultimate husband the ultimate father um, the ultimate leader and they didn't realize the consequences of the miscommunication of not understanding an entrepreneurial uh, mindset. That is really crazy. Exactly, and the, and the yep, and the two that I want to celebrate with everybody is Larry Wingett and Michael Eisner. I get goosebumps just telling you this, Ken. The relationships that those two, those, the relationships those two men have with their boys is truly incredible. In what way? They are present. I've seen a couple of them because they're now, you know, all of them, they're now grown adults. And I've seen them on interviews. Some of them are famous. Some of them aren't. You go to YouTube and so on. The way, the depth and the language and the gratitude um, and the emotional energy that some of these boys express when they talk about who their father was and is in their life. But here's the other thing. Jay Conrad Levinson, the guerrilla marketing guy, he, back, in the, yeah, back in the 70s, he said... I'm only, I don't work Fridays. He goes to the big New York City advertising firm. I don't work Fridays. Four years later, he says, I don't work Thursdays. So think about it. The Marlboro man, the Michelin tire guy, those, mm-hmm. he built massive brands. He only worked Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So he was the Chick-fil-A of fatherhood. He, pardon me? He was the Chick-fil-A of fatherhood. He, <laughs> right. He, he, exactly. Yeah, he closed he exactly. closed the days that were important to him to give to the people that were important to him. Exactly. And That's I hope good. some people are listening right now 
you can you cannot work on Friday. <laughs> Tell me why. You 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 can go in late on Monday. <laughs> but I'll just share with you. I've traveled all over the I've traveled all over the country as a professional speaker and as a consultant. And one of the things I say from stage in corporate, and I'll, I'll just make this quick for everybody. I hope everybody realizes that even if you're at work, I mean, think about how many times people wander off to smoke a cigarette or they wander off to go to the restroom. Here's what I've done. I flip it for people and say, look, even if you can't take Friday off, you know what you can do. You can make an appointment at 10 a.m. for 30 minutes. You walk out of your office and people go, where are you going? Oh, I have an appointment. I'll be back at 1030. You walk out into the parking lot. I did this in Pfizer in Memphis, Tennessee, in the logistics division. I said, you can walk out to your car, turn on your favorite music, sit with your journal, or make phone calls to your family, or shoot a video on your phone for your grandkid. Whoever said that you can't own your own life? Now, if you're working on a production line, as an hourly employee, I understand. But you know what? You could do that on your lunch break. It's a choice. It's a choice. So, in a way, you're saying TGIF is not thank God it's Friday. It's thank God it's family. There, there you go. Come on, yeah, now. I'm telling you, you are a master. You are a master. You're a ma- You should trademark <laughs> that. You're a master. At, oh, my God. You're a master at wordsmithing. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, oh, we'll I can see this next year. There's going to be billboards. There's going to be billboards all over the country. That says, "Thank God, it's family," and then the <laughs> "Keep Smiling" is going to be right there on the bottom corner. It's going to be brilliant. Yeah, but I'm only doing That's that with awesome. you. I mean, you inspired it. Uh, the show actually couldn't be a better message for actually causing that mission. And if you have that mission, you have the groundwork to be as abundant as you want to be. If you don't have family connected to your dream, your entrepreneurialism, or just your success, just period success, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. You got to. Absolutely. Um, may I share one story that just happened at Lenox Square Mall in Atlanta? Not only can you share one story, you can share as many as you'd like in this hour. <laughs> Go for it, Stephen. <laughs> all right. So we're, we're, we're all hung out for five days at the JW Marriott in downtown Atlanta. It was actually in Buckhead. And there's a Lenox Square Mall that's attached to the JW Marriott. So when we would have a lunch break, we could either um, stay in the hotel or you could wander across this bridge and go to the traditional food court of a mall. I'm coming up the escalator and walking towards, as I get off the escalator and I'm headed towards the food court, there's this beautiful family, mostly adults, but you could see all three generations, grandparents, parents, the children that were you know, tweens and some high school. And then you also saw this little three-year-old girl. Now, remember, I worked at Disney World. She's wearing a Minnie Mouse little skirt. And she's smiling from ear to ear. And who knows, who knows why? See, the thing you've said, Ken, I heard you share this, is children smile just because it's a state of being. So I see this little girl I look up, and everybody's, you know, it's like this big herd of people walking behind her because it's such a large family, and they're all serious and talking, and two of the high school kids are walking, looking at their cell phones. And I thought of you, this was two days ago, and I looked down at the little girl, I lock eyes, she's smiling from ear to ear. And all I say is I go, hey, keep smiling. Wow. And the mother looks up at me and smiles and all of a sudden eight people started smiling and they turned into a circle and they had the little girl in the middle and they scooped her up and they're all laughing and smiling and having fun now I'm a softy but I walked away from that and had a tear going down my face yeah, I, I probably do right now Stephen yeah, it's thinking about my own 15-year-old, thinking about my daughter from South Africa, right? Mhm. That's amazing. I, I just think And then the other one for me is I was at a Chick-fil-A counter, I was at a restaurant, and there were these and there would be women or men that you know those people when they smile, they like light up a room. Totally. Like the smile is so big. 
Mm-hmm. What I used to say, and because of you, I got it rekindled in my heart. I've been going around for the last three weeks, and when I see one of those people, I simply say, wow, you have one of those smiles that lights up a room. I bet your mom loved your dimples and loved holding you as a baby or seeing that smile. It is incredible to me how about half the time I've had these young ladies like at a fast food restaurant and they pause and they smile and they look at me and then they go, I so needed that today. Thank you so much. I'm having such a tough day. My coworker just told me I was way too serious. Hearing you say that, I mean, this is why Ken and I do this, um, you know, with working with entrepreneurs and people all over the world for the Keep Smiling movement. And with your skills and your abilities, I would love to hear how, you know, you would think of some ideas on how we can shift this nonprofit to reach even more people, because that's really our mission is to make a difference in the world. I mean, we have the cards in 24 languages. What are two tips that you can think of that we can make this happen fast? because we really want to change it by the end of the year. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate the question. I haven't even shared this with Ken. Um, here's what's on my heart, and it got reinforced this last weekend. Um, I saw a young man 10 years ago on Christmas Eve standing with a winter coat on, standing on a milk crate in the middle of Times Square. He was like 19 years old, 20 years old standing on a milk crate with a winter coat on in the middle of Times Square with all the big banners and the lights and all of that, and he's holding a simple poster over his head with both of his arms reached way high above his head, and he's just standing there, and he's holding a sign. And I said to myself, and this has changed my life, I said to myself, what, is the, what are the words that I would have the courage to put on that sign? And no matter what the reaction was I got from any human being from any country in Times Square, I'd stand there, and if they said something really challenging or horrible, I'd say, thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your feedback. God bless you. Thank you for your feedback. So think about it. Imagine anywhere in the country, whatever your Times Square is, Imagine if you simply took a poster, and I've done this with friends. Go to a shopping mall. Go wherever you want. Imagine holding a poster, and all it says is, keep smiling. Wow. And you stand there for four hours. You stand there for 30 minutes. You stand there for 30 minutes until the mall security guards say that you can't do it anymore. (laughs) And then you look at the security guards as they're exiting you to your car, and you go, and you say, hey, officer, keep smiling. And then they look at you, and they're like, well, okay, you can stay, you can stay for another half hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the day that we can't uh, have a sign that causes people to smile is uh, going to be a sad day. So you're right. That's, that's, a, that's a good little test. I mean, you know, I remember remind five months, 10 years ago were such a big deal? I want to remind everyone, you're listening to Amplified with Ken Rashawn with your um, sponsors, the Red Carpet Connection, the Umbrella Syndicate, and the Keep Smiling Movement. Again, uh, Amplified with Ken Rashawn. Go ahead, Stephen. So I I would just encourage people to hold a sign up in Times Square. (laughs) And you've got the cards translated into multiple languages. I mean, that would be incredible. So I am curious since 2020 is right around the corner Stephen, what uh, yeah. caused you to be at the that that particular event and how does that relate to what you're trying to create in 2020 sure sure so larry wingett and suzanne evans have built an incredible community called take the stage and it helps people that have an, have a heart for impact and they want to refine their message and really get out on stages of all types to impact more people, create a movement, um, invest in people, equip people. Uh, the people that were there, we had church ministers, we had nonprofit directors, we had business owners, we had professional speakers. So for me, I was going there to really, after 22 years of keynote speaking, I went there to polish off the, you know, the hard corners and to add whatever 
tips that I could get, and I was blown away how many, and I, I don't use this, it's not hyperbole, how many profound strategies and comments that Larry gave us after 30 years. So for me, I have been a professional speaker for years, and I see all of these people traveling in airports and, and honestly sacrificing their lives to be a professional speaker or a consultant. And in fact, I did a little research recently, and of the top 20 biggest speakers in the country, biggest keynote speakers in the country, almost half of them are divorced, and a third of them have been divorced twice. So think about what I said earlier. Kids think that their parents just chose the company or they chose the stage. So here's what's on my heart, and we just launched this. It's speak less, it's speak less, earn more, and give back more. But the concept is we're helping speakers and consultants license their best programs, their best content, helping them license it into corporations, creating corporate sponsorships, and we're also helping people do what's called a certification. Imagine instead of being a speaker and going to speak once for 90 minutes at Campbell Soup, imagine instead, and this is my life work right here, imagine telling the client, let me come in and train 40 people to be accountability coaches, to be service coaches, to be um, team-building coaches, whatever the language is of what that company's struggling with. Let me come in and train 40 people. Let them be the fire starters. Let them be the leaders at every level of the organization. And now you have a lasting change. So that's what's on our heart is helping speakers and consultants. And this works for other businesses too, just like taking Friday off. Imagine if you took Friday off and you owned a, a bricks and mortar business. What are you going to do with Friday? Well, maybe you go out with keep smiling cards and give back to the community. Um, right. So it's about licensing corporate sponsorships and helping people certify the greatest material. Thank so, you for asking that. That's beautiful, Stephen. I want to ask you a question as uh, still a, a father experimenting on how to be a better father. So what I've been doing lately, my son's six years old, is I call him when he gets home and I say, how was your day? And he doesn't typically give me the the most amazing feedback, but I'm what I'm trying to instill is I care about what you're doing in your day. And then I ask him, when do you want daddy home or what do you want to do when daddy's home? And And those questions are to say, you're the priority. Uh, create something with me, and and I and it's not that I'm not trying to create something with him. It's that I want him to pick what makes him happy. Sure. Well, so I, I just I, I, I do what, know there's. I, I agree with you. There's a big problem with leaders that pursue their dreams and they get lost in the dream and they don't they don't remember that they have a legacy underneath them that they need to actually encourage and actually make feel important. Exactly. So I will offer you what a person way smarter and he had six kids and I just was in awe of how he did all that. Um, I actually was a CEO of a company and had six kids and I was blown away. But when your six-year-old comes home from school, here's the gift he gave me. Hey, buddy, welcome home. Instead of saying, how is your day today? At six years old, you go, hey, buddy. What was your favorite thing that you got to do today at school? It's a totally different question. What was your it favorite is. thing that happened today? So now it's, it's much more accessible. And they're like, huh. And what's beautiful is first four days that I go, I don't know, Dad. I don't know. Um, but at age six, all the way to about age 10 or 11, you say that. You say that. And, yep, you say that. And... They'll go into storytelling mode. The other right. version is, as they get a little older, you go, hey, what went well today? What made you really happy? Or what was a really great thing that you learned? So you, you start asking those types of questions. But here's the one that I'll share with you with an, with an absolute passion. Sure. If you could change, and this is typically for older kids. Hey, uh, Stephen, one second. It's, it's a little muffled. Yep. Did, you, did we lose a connection with you? No, I'm right here. Okay, there you go. It's, it's clear. Go ahead. Okay. If you could change any one thing immediately, if you, you're looking at your son, you're looking at your spouse, this works in all aspects of our life. Think about money, think about your relationships, think about health, think about anything. If you could change 
any one thing immediately. What's your son's name? Kenny. What is it, Kenny? Yeah, Kenny. Named after my dad, actually. So, okay, so Kenny's 14 years old. He's making it through the toughest time, which is middle school, and he's having a tough time. Kenny, if you could change any one thing immediately about what happened today at school, what would you change? My son was bullied for two years. They were some of the toughest, gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching conversations. What my 15-year-old will say to you today is it got to the point, and it's a family joke, that when he got home, whether he had a good day or bad day, he knew dad was going to ask that immediately question. <laughs> but here's what happened. Right. My father was a Socratic thinker. He was a university professor. He taught me the power of questions. And I think truly it's why I picked up the phone and made that call with the question. But here's the thing. Hey, Kenny, if you could change any one thing immediately about what happened today, or if you could change any one thing about um, how summer camp went, what would you change? Here's what happens. Your children later, and, and we all know about the mindset work and emotional intelligence and all that. Here's the gift that we are giving our children. We're asking them the question that allows them to think and grow rather than handing them the answer, number one. Number two, it's a process-based question, and your child will realize, and this is where my mentor blew my mind, your child grows up in a home where they realize they still have power, they still have choice, they still have the ability that if something bad happens, they can at least say, well, if I was that teacher, what would I, how would I have changed that to make it better? My son, as a freshman last year in high school, hand wrote a note to one of his teachers, and he simply said, I hope, I hope you take this as feedback because I care about you as a teacher. 14 years old, he says this. Mm. I just wanted to offer that there's two things I think you could do differently, not better, you could do differently with our class that would help all of us. Thank you, Mrs. So-and-so. That teacher sent an email and said she was so affronted and could not believe that a child in her class challenged her and was telling her she was wrong and that she didn't know what she was doing with teaching. <laughs> Kia came home. Crazy. He said the teacher wanted to punish him. And so he comes home and he says, well, what do I do? And Kia says, I said to Kia, well, if you could change her response, if you could change what happened immediately, if you could change your letter, your note, what would you change? And he goes, well, I wouldn't change anything in the note. I said, great. Well, if you were the teacher, what would you change? And he goes, I wouldn't have my ego so involved. I would just say thank you. Great. Now watch, everybody. I hope your listeners get this. So tell you what, buddy, what could you do tomorrow when you walk into the classroom? What's the conversation you're going to have with her? So he worked it out. We practiced it. We role-played it. It's 8 o'clock at night. He goes in the next day, and that teacher, at 9 o'clock at night the next day, after my son had the conversation, my son was 14, she writes us, and this is what it said. I have tears coming down my face as I write you this letter or write you this email. I just want to thank you for Kia being in my class. He has the biggest heart for me as a teacher and as a person, and it was a really beautiful moment for me to wake up. I've taught class, the same class, for 31 years. Please tell Kia, thank you for having the courage to tell me. That's He's 14 uh, years old. That's that's powerful, but that's actually um, the thing people don't that people miss when there is constructive criticism that it's a gift, and that it takes a tremendous amount of courage, especially for a younger person, to do that. And I've been playing around with my son saying um, when he does something that is not exactly appropriate uh, or the right behavior, I say, well, what yeah. would you do if your son did this? And he's quick to say what he would do. And so he kind of mulls that over and then all of a sudden the behavior stops because he doesn't want to be that contradiction or that 
you know. So it's that's beautiful. Well, I want to make sure we get a couple questions in that are related to rapid fire. So this is where we ask you questions quickly and you answer them quickly and uh, not a lot of explanation. So I'll start off with what's a book that changed your life, one or two books that changed your life, just the titles and author. Sure. Four-Hour Work Week and In Search of Excellence. Okay. Andrea? What is the song that gets you motivated and inspired? Thunderstruck by ACDC. Hell yeah. Okay. And uh, in, 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 in inspirational mode, what's a movie you, a go-to movie one or two that uh, inspires you? Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Shawshank Redemption. That's great. I just saw Invictus again for the third time, and I, 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 I gave my juice of inspiration before I get in a call with Stephen, you know? <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Andrea. <laughs> um, what is that charity that you support? Acres of Love in South Africa, which is where our foster daughter, who's now 21 years old, that's where she was, and she was saved in South Africa. So Acres of Love. Beautiful. Beautiful. And and another one is Mosaic Mosaic in South Africa. Okay, and uh, what is the title of the chapter we'll be publishing for your Key Smiling book based on this uh, conversation and what we'll do afterwards with using the word smile? It's using the word smile? Yes, if you can. Yep. Um, one question makes everyone smile. Great. Andrea? Oh, what did you want to be when you were a child to grow up to do? I wanted to be a veterinarian, believe it or not. That's cool. <laughs> All creatures great and small, right? Yep, yep. All right, and uh, final question, what's a quote you live by? If you could change any one thing immediately, what would you change? And the second one is success (laughs) is a choice, and it's your own damn fault. Larry Winger. Well, thank you. Exactly. And, and I thought that was Larry, actually. So, Stephen, thank you very much for spending an hour with us. But more importantly, uh, thank you for being an impact in so many people's lives. And specifically, that you are a go-to guy when you need something, you're there. You're the person that says yes when you need a yes. So you're an amazing leader, an amazing human being, and I'm very proud to call you a friend. And I look forward to an amazing 2020 with you. So this show has been brought to you, of course, by the Key Smiling Movement, the Red Carpet Connection, and the Umbrella Syndicate. Stephen, you are an impact in the world. We are so glad we're amplifying your life and the leadership that you cause and the love you bring to the world. Um, I can't wait for how 2020 is going to be transformed because of the information you gave in this show and how we're going to apply it to the Key Smiling Movement and some other, so many other things. Honored and grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we'll be back next week amplifying the life of another leader and stay inspired and be amplified. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashan again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.